1979 revolution in Iran was a project in making for decades, and a combination of various events and incidents accelerated the pace towards its happening. Hello, this is Somaya Dehban, a devoted Dutchified Iranian whose life is quite interwoven with politics. I am the creator and host of Your Native Analyst, a podcast for anyone who has ever wondered what is really going on in Iran and the Middle East, and how on earth does that affect us in Europe and the Netherlands. This content is shaped around my personal yet political experiences as an Iranian living in exile, as well as a naturalized Dutch citizen. It is also inspired by my cross-sector work spanning academia, politics, civil society, and the private sector. In this podcast series and its dedicated newsletter, I contextualize the news about Iran and the Middle East for the European and the Dutch politicians, as well as the general public. And during this, I unveil the nuances that are lost in translation. The aim is to modulate the view of our European and Dutch representatives when negotiating with the Iranian government and collectively move towards a just and sustainable international community. Join me every second Tuesday of the month to hear about the reality of life in that part of the world. Now let's unveil this episode of Your Native Analyst. Welcome to the fifth episode of Your Native Analyst. Thank you for showing up and tuning in. How is the second month of 2022 been treating you thus far? Time is flying for me and already in the first six weeks of the new year, so many things have changed. I have started a new project and a few articles of mine are published on different platforms and the feedback I received for my thematic newsletters have been quite positive. So I'm quite grateful for what this year has already brought me. Of course, like anyone else, there have been challenges and difficulties as well. The implications of applying Fairbinding, my change management model, to all domains of my life have been positively overwhelming, and I'm quite excited to share more of this with you in this episode again. In this episode, I will be talking about systemic review. Systemic review is the first stage of the first phase of my personal and organizational transformation model that I have dubbed Fairbinding. As I mentioned in the last episode, Fairbinding has three phases, namely understanding, implementing, and scaling. Every phase of the model has three stages, and as promised throughout 2022, I will share with you different parts of this model. And today we will talk about systemic review as the first stage. I will also talk about Iran's so-called Islamic Revolution. In February 1979, the Pahlavi dynasty collapsed 
and in March of the same year, Islamic Republic of Iran was established. I will share with you the timeline of this revolution and how the Islamic Republic has put into practice the lessons learned from this revolution to stop any other revolution from getting the needed momentum to erupt. I will also share with you what I consider the true meaning of freedom. In most cases, when we face a challenge, we want to immediately take an action to mitigate or eliminate the impact of the challenge. This is, of course, the right way to deal with crises in which we are facing immediate danger. For instance, when we see a car driving towards us, we don't wait to run various scenarios in our head or discuss with the person next to us what we should do. No. Instead, we immediately step out of the direction of the car to avoid the collision. However, when we are talking about bringing about fundamental and lasting change and transforming the status quo, there is no room for hasty decisions. We do not want to replace one challenge with another one. We want to make a sustainable and durable change And for that, we need to understand our context quite well, inside out, and then evaluate various scenarios. In the context of the Islamic Revolution in Iran, many people who participated in the protests at the time knew what they did not want. However, based on their own confessions, they did not know what they actually wanted instead. And that was the gap in the revolution from which one specific group took a great advantage and dominated the outcome of the revolution. In this episode, I share with you how I believe we can achieve a sustainable and durable change by moving beyond doing things according to a system or method, and instead embracing the relation between our actions and an entire system and understand how our actions affect an entire system. With this introduction, let's get started with the first segment of this episode. During the systemic review stage, we first identify the underlying assumptions of the problem we are dealing with and ensure a clear distinction between the symptoms of the problem and the problem itself. Then we examine the market, competitions, and potential threats and major opportunities. I have been quite curious about change management and how to bring about change in a political context especially since 2009, after the uprising in Iran regarding the outcome of the presidential election. Back in 2011, together with my colleagues at Iranian Progressive Youth, I organized an international essay contest on how to bring about change in Iran. The international essay contest encouraged the interested parties to investigate and explore their ideas from idealistic to the realistic ones, in response to this question from either one or a combination of the following perspectives. 
One, the role and prospect of civil society. Two, the influence of the political structure. And three, the position and responsibility of the international community. We received quite a lot of responses from all around the world, and our jury selected the top three essays. More than a decade on from this essay contest, the only change observable in Iran is that the number of executions have gone up and the number of violent crackdowns by the regime has escalated and the number of young and talented individuals leaving the country for life, not a better life, but just a life, has increased. Around 2017 and 18, I decided to dig much deeper in change management, and I started my journey in this field by reading the book Leading Change by John P. Cotter. This book has been considered as one of the most influential books in the domain of change management. For a while, I followed the eight-step process of change management of Cotter, and I even taught this methodology in online and offline courses. However, after a while, I felt that this model is not holistic enough and does not cover all the elements of a change. That's why I started a research in how I can make this model more inclusive and applicable to different domains. That's how I ended up designing my own model. The first step in Cotter's model is creating an urgency, the urgent feeling that we need to make a change, otherwise we are going to fail. This did not work for me as I believe this type of urgency is fear-based, and I believe we need to approach issues from a position of positivity and hope. Also, this fear-based approach felt too religious to me. For instance, most religions say that we should pray and be good people because otherwise we go to hell or other forms of punishment. And I believe we should be good people because of the merits of goodness and not because we will be punished otherwise. So that's why the first stage of my model is not about creating a sense of urgency but about systemically reviewing ourselves, our environment, and our history. You may have noticed that I use the term systemic instead of systematic. Let me explain what's the difference between these two terms. Systemic is perceived as a more modern version of systematic, but there is also a fundamental difference in my opinion. Systematic is bound to system and order. And it implies that our actions follow the orders that the system has put in place. It is hence systematic. Systemic, however, is looking at a system from a detached position and analyze how our actions are related to the system and how the system affects our actions and the other way around. Therefore, I have chosen the term systemic review for the first stage of change management model. During this stage, as mentioned earlier, we dig into our assumptions. We explore the underlying conditions which makes us make certain decisions or take certain actions. We also dig into the problem at hand. Are we addressing symptoms of the problem or the problem itself? 
Then we move to a bird eye view and look at our environment and our history, our background. How is this problem situated in our environment and how the events in the past has influenced it? What are the other challenges that are linked to this problem and what opportunities it provides us if we address it at this moment? With this introduction to systemic review, let's get into the background of 1979 Islamic Revolution and how change was brought about to Iran then. The 1979 revolution in Iran was a project in making for decades, and a combination of various events and incidents accelerated the pace towards its happening. Understanding the long-term nature of this revolution, which makes it quite exceptional comparing to other revolutions in the history, is of great importance. because it puts the revolution in a very different perspective if we just consider it as an organic uprising coming from the general public. The Iranian Revolution of 1979, which is also widely known as Islamic Revolution, was a series of events that culminated to the overthrow of the Pahlavi dynasty under the Shah Mohammad Reza Pahlavi. and the replacement of his government with an Islamic Republic under the rule of Ayatollah Khomeini, a leader of one of the fractions in the revolt. The revolution was supported by various leftist and Islamic organizations. The beginning of this revolution goes back to 1953 coup d'etat, or in Persian, coup d'etat 28 Mordad. which was the overthrow of the democratic elected prime minister Mohammad Mossadegh in favor of strengthening the monarchical rule of the Shah Mohammad Reza Pahlavi. This was heavily supported by the so-called Western Bloc. It was mainly sparked because Prime Minister Mossadegh declared oil as a national industry, which was previously in the hands of United Kingdom and the West. From this point on, the Shah relied heavily on support from the United States to hold on to power, which he held for a further 26 years. This led to the 1963 White Revolution, which was a far-reaching series of reforms resulting in aggressive modernization in Iran launched by the Shah, which lasted until 1979. The reforms resulted in greatly redistributing wealth to Iran's working class, explosive economic growth in subsequent decades, rapid urbanization, and deconstructed Iran's feudalist customs. The White Revolution also led to the arrest and exile of Ayatollah Khomeini in 1964. During the time that Khomeini was in exile, he still had a very strong influence in Iran. Between 1964 and 1979, over 15 years, 
There were a series of minor and major incidents in Iran which kept the flame of the fire that Khomeini's exile created. During 1978, there were numerous protests around the country. On 16 January 1979, the Shah left Iran, and this time he went to exile as the last Persian monarch, leaving his duties to a Regency council and Shahpur Bakhtiar, who was an opposition-based prime minister. Ayatollah Khomeini was invited back to Iran by the government and returned to Tehran to a greeting by several thousand Iranians. The royal reign collapsed shortly after, on 11 February, when rebellion militia overwhelmed the troops loyal to the Shah in armed street fighting, bringing Khomeini to official power. The revolution was quite unusual for the surprise it created throughout the world. It lacked many of the customary causes for revolution, such as defeat in war, a financial crisis, peasant rebellion, or disgruntled military. The revolution also occurred in a nation that was experiencing relative prosperity and produced profound change at a great speed and resulted in the exile of many Iranians and replaced a pro-Western absolute monarchy with an anti-Western theocracy based on the concept of velayat faqih which means a guardianship of the Islamic jurist. In addition to these, the revolution sought a region-wide Shia revival and an uprooting of the existing dominant Arab-Sunni hegemony in the Middle East. Understanding this historical background of Islamic revolution and how it took at least three decades to come to fruition is of great importance. An astonishing element of this revolution is how Khomeini kept his influence on Iran even at the time that he was on exile for 15 years without having access to any technologies. Khomeini's message was being passed on to people through religious groups and Friday imams at the community level. The lesson learned from the revolution that Islamic Republic has very well put into practice is to control people at the community level. In the previous episode, I explained how IRGC, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, benefited economically from the sanctions being lifted in 2015 after the Iran deal. IRGC has also established a very strong social arm within the country through community-based organizations. Moreover, Islamic Republic has eliminated any other non-governmental organization that had a following at the community level throughout the country. One of the main examples that can be mentioned here is the dissolving of a grassroots organization called Imam Ali, which brought food supplies for the poor around the country. The founders of these organizations were arrested and imprisoned last year. Basically, the Islamic Republic has systematically and systemically reviewed the reasons that caused the overthrow of the Pahlavi dynasty and avoids every one of them right at its inception. 
The Islamic Republic has eradicated the middle class in Iran, so the population is simply divided into super-rich, who needs the support of the regime to stay rich, or super-poor, who needs to keep quiet to have something to stay alive. Anyone who chooses a middle ground is either shot in the protests or sent to prison or forced to leave the country. Of course, this is a simplified version of the story. The Islamic Republic has also created a very closely knitted group at the level of family ties to run the government and keeps anyone who is not one of them out of the system. Additionally, the Islamic Republic has created a militia that is seemingly not a governmental representative but has the governmental power to kill and make people disappear. This way, the government can get rid of any opposition without being directly blamed for it. So any so-called weakness that caused the overthrow of Pahlavi is eliminated before it becomes an issue. Now that we know how Islamic Republic has learned from reviewing history, the question is, what are we, as the West, going to learn from the history of Islamic Revolution and Islamic Republic? With this question in mind, let's go to the last segment of this episode. In this episode, we discussed systemic review, the first stage of the first phase of my personal and organizational transformation model, which has three phases, namely understanding, implementing, and scaling. We discussed why we need to make a distinction between symptoms and causes of our challenges and how detaching ourselves from a system gives us a higher perspective to understand our relation with the system and our effect on the system. We also talked about the history of Islamic revolution and how it was fundamentally different from other revolutions around the world. We also discussed how the Islamic Republic is silencing any potential cause for overthrowing the regime right at its inception by having control over the people at the community level. I invite you to review your systems. There are many systems to which we are connected. Our ideological systems, our norms and value systems, our family systems, our work systems, and our political and social systems. Try to list as many systems as you can and then pick one of them, only one. Does not matter which one, pick the one that comes to your mind at first. When you picked it, then try to distance yourself from it and look at it as an outsider and be open and honest to see how you feel and see it from a distance. And then try to see how it affects you and your actions and your decisions and the other way around, how your actions are affecting the being of that system. When we detach ourselves and observe the system to which we are connected, or better to say, entangled, we discover our shortcomings. 
we discover our strength and we discover new opportunities. This realization guides us to be grateful for what we have and show gratitude towards our surroundings. This realization also guides us towards truly practicing our personal freedom of choice and acts not just based on the order that the system provides us, but acts based on understanding the impacts we have on the system and the system has on us. For me, this is the definition of freedom. What was the unveiling moment of this episode for you? Did you hear about something that impacted your view on the reality of life in that part of the world and how it impacts us on this side of the world? I hope you gained a deeper insight into the complexity of politics and how it affects us regardless of our regions. Want to hear more? Sign up for my thematic newsletters to get notified about each episode and more. You can do this by going to my website, somayedehban.com newsletters. Until the next unveiling, Bedrood.